to center us around this refrain. has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. If you would like to uh, financially contribute to what we're doing in West Michigan and around the world, there are joy boxes in the back of the room. I didn't want you to miss that cathartic moment. Um, so uh, we are going to continue with this new series that we're a part of, a series we're calling All Things New. Over these six weeks, um, I forgot my glasses. It became very, very clear how unclear this teaching was going to be. Uh, <laughs> um, these are readers, which are turning into everydayers, um, increasingly. Um, so uh, over these next six weeks, starting last week, we're going to be asking the question, uh, well, first, we're going to be on the lookout. How is God making things new in the world and in the church? But we're also going to be asking, God, where is there a need for a new spirit? Was there a need for a fresh wind? And that's what we're going to be trying to do over these six weeks. Um, is this in an all right spot? Everybody? This sounds to my ears bad. 
Um, if you didn't get a chance last week uh, to be with us, I want to highly encourage that you would uh, go and check out that teaching that Ashley did last week. A great word, a convicting, challenging word for us. Essentially asking, do we dare to hope? Do we dare to hope that new life is actually possible? A helpful way of starting. Dan, do you want to do something here? Boys and girls, Dan Johnson, tech director, Marshall Bible Church. His least favorite seven seconds of this year was that one right there, being in front of you. Um, this week, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a, a renewed vocation. A renewed vocation. And to get into that, I need to make an appeal to the cult classic film Office Space. Part of the tension of this movie, if you haven't seen it, that's okay. Part, if you have, part of the tension of this movie revolves around these two guys. They're efficiency consultants, and they're brought in to help this mid-level uh, uh, internet uh, software kind of company downsize. And uh, so what happens is there's this moment during one particular interview where things get a little, uh, they get a little out of control. And the Bobs, these two guys, they get confused about this one guy's job. They get confused about his scope of work. And eventually they just have to ask the fundamental question, what do you say you do here? What do you do here? It's a funny question in the movie. It may not be a really funny question in real life. It may very well be a question that for some of us is really burdensome. It may feel like your least favorite question of all. Whenever we have conversations about vocation, about calling, um, it often and maybe even most of the time focuses on the out-of-the-house workplace occupation. And what that does is it ends up making a bunch of people feel completely left out of the conversation. It means that a lot of people have no idea how to find their place in the conversation. The what-do-you-do-here question feels in some ways stacked against you, but certainly feels exclusive to not include you. Few conversations try to answer the question, what does vocation mean for stay-at-home parents? Or what does vocation mean for those who are currently students at all kinds of ages and stages who are focusing on academics right now? What does vocation mean if you're on medical leave? What does vocation mean if you've entered into the season of retirement? Is vocation only in your rearview mirror? And a whole host of other um, situations that may end up being really more difficult to talk about. We need an expanded conversation about vocation that is bigger than one's economic contribution to society or the workplace. Luckily for us, those of us who are part of Christ's body, there is a bigger conversation to be had 
that there is a larger vocation for us to consider, a vocation that we all share regardless of our day job status. And that vocation, the one that I want to talk about, is the call to serve and to contribute to Christ's church. That's our shared vocation. The last half of the New Testament, it's filled with all kinds of encouragements to live a new kind of life, animated by the Holy Spirit, following after the example of Jesus. But there's also this continued narrowing of the conversation by the writers of the New Testament to try to bring us back to this particular call to contribute and care for the church to care for your fellow believers, to care for a localized body. I'll show you more of what I mean here in a moment, but this is where I want to start. I want to start by telling you why I think this matters. Why is a renewed vocation going to make a difference? I think that the, the key threat to the flourishing and the thriving of a local church. Better yet, I think the key threat to the thriving and the flourishing of this church, Mars Hill Bible Church, is passivity. That the key danger that we come up against is unresponsiveness and inaction and non-participation. In Ephesians 4, Paul is plainly spelling out for people that there are gifts given and abilities given so that the body of Christ would be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This verse gives us a glimpse about what is at stake. Why I think passivity is the key danger. What is at stake is unity and maturity in knowledge. Friends, what is at stake is our becoming more and more like Jesus. During my graduate work, I, I spent a lot of time in my master's degree thinking about and studying something called clericalism. Remember when we had the heresy highlight during the Apostles' Creed moment? This is your nobody gives a care highlight for a second, okay? Clericalism, essentially in broad brush terms, this is talking about authority and power dynamics in the church throughout history, okay? Um, in the Middle Ages, what we saw was, um, which is kind of the golden age of clericalism, what we saw in the Middle Ages was the priest the person who was leading the church, the priest, would seize control by doing everything himself. This was particularly put on display in a worship service. A worship service done in Latin, a language that nobody spoke and nobody could understand. 
only being done by the priest. And what ultimately ends up happening because of that and lots of other ways that the priest sees control is the people ultimately believed, I don't have a contribution to this church outside of my own quiet private prayers and my gifts of money. Now, clericalism didn't go away. It just looks differently now, today. And it looks like this. More often what is true is that the community surrenders control. And they surrender control uh, to the paid church people to do everything. Then in the hustle and bustle of life, the members of a church look to the professional Christians to do all the work. And instead say, I will make my contribution in my private prayers and in my money. Now, I bring this up to highlight and to stress just this, that whether in the 1300s or in the 2020s, the byproduct of this sort of clericalistic reality is that there's a kind of passivity that overwhelms the church. Whether the leader of the church takes over or the members of the church hand over, what we have ultimately is a kind of hands-offness that is really problematic. And I want to say that it's a hands-offness that is unbiblical. Our teaching text today is from Romans 12. And Susie started at verse 4, but at the very beginning of that chapter are these words, words that may be familiar to many of you. It starts this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in light of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this verse in particular, but I want to highlight it because I want you to notice that what Paul is urging here is a kind of total offering. Paul is urging that you would offer your full entire self. When the word bodies is used, um, it's not talking about a compartmentalization. It's a Greek idea that would have separated people into different chunks body and soul. In a Hebraic mindset, that's not, that's not a thing. The person is an entire unit. In the Jewish mindset, when Paul says, offer your bodies, they would have understand meaning you bring your entire self. He uses sacrificial metaphor here. So what's happening is when an animal was thrown onto the fire, it wasn't just this bit and this bit. It was the whole deal. And so this imagery would have emphasized to people that full participation is what is being urged here. You bring your entire self. Confirmed later, 1 Peter in chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. We'll talk about giftedness here in a minute. For now, what I want to do is I want to highlight the all-encompassing ways that these verses talk about our Christian vocation to serve the church. It's basically saying, whatever you've got, use it. Bring it all. Because, friends, you will not find biblical support for coming to church and consuming without also contributing. Passivity is not biblical. Paul doesn't urge us 
to offer up your free time, to offer up the holes in your schedule. Paul's not urging you to when it works for you. He's not urging us to bring our scraps. He's not urging us to bring the little bit that we have left over in energy or effort. It's a total thing. The biblical call throughout the whole Bible is to imitate God, to imitate Jesus in all things, who gave up everything, gave up his full self. Ephesians reminds us that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so then you and I, we're called into this shared vocation as well. A vocation that Paul says that we will be built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is what is at stake, that we would become a dwelling place. So, returning to this teaching text, I just want to highlight three outcomes. That's my appeal for why this matters. I want to highlight just briefly three outcomes of a renewed vocation. Three ways that when we give ourselves faithfully to this universal vocation of serving God's church, there are three outcomes. These are things that we both discover, and these are things that we both, and we also actualize, things that we make real, things that we put on display. So we find these to be true, and we make them to be true. So three things. First one would be this. It's unity. Verse 5 of Romans 12, it says this, And so in Christ we, though many, form one body. This is one of the couple places where Paul uses this body imagery, this body metaphor to talk about the church. A powerful metaphor, a metaphor that's actually really stirred me a lot these past couple months. Unity is something that we've looked at a lot. We talked about it in the Apostles' Creed series. We talked about it in our John series. It may feel like we talk about unity a lot around here. And that's because we do. Because it's a big deal. Because we think it's really important. Because it's one of the most countercultural ways that we behave in the world is by seeking and living into unity. Jesus earnestly prayed for unity for the church in John 17. Not just for his disciples, if you remember, he says, but I pray for those who will believe of you through them, praying for us. And so in the New Testament, so much of it is about this unique coming together of this weird variety, this uh, 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 uncommon uh, and uh, diverse, that's the word I was looking for, diverse group of people. I should just read my paper. <laughs> and the reason why Jesus prays this and the reason why the New Testament keeps talking about it and the reason why we highlight it so much is because unity always has been and always will be really hard to make a reality. It will be very hard because there have always been serious temptations Individualism and autonomy have always been serious temptations that work against our attempts to live into and to seek to be unified. 
And so when we're faithful to this Christian vocation of building up the church, what we do is we live into unity in a very tangible way. We seek to resist this temptation to go at it alone. And we bring ourselves to make this body better. We both discover unity and we make unity a reality. Second outcome. I'm going to talk about mutuality. Paul writes that not only do all of the members of the bo- uh, form one body, but then each member belongs to all the others. That's probably hard for many of us to accept. What Paul is trying to emphasize here in other spots where the body metaphor is used in the New Testament is that everyone profits from each individual contribution. That means that your investment in and contribution to the body makes a difference. And that's really good news. But there's a temptation here with mutuality as well that we need to face and that we need to name. And that temptation is the temptation to withhold. The temptation to reserve or to keep your gifts or to keep your contribution to yourself and to your own. And when that happens, friends, the body experiences lack and loss and want. When we withhold, our body suffers. I think the message that Paul is trying to get across here is that your participation matters. Rather than trying to guilt trip anyone into using his or her gifts, I think what's being emphasized is that you and I, we get to play a part. It doesn't all depend on us, and yet our contribution is crucial. So as we are faithful to this renewed vocation, we both discover mutuality and we make mutuality a reality. And we seek the best of our abilities to avoid this temptation to withhold our gifts. And we recognize that our contribution to this larger thing makes a difference. Third and final outcome I want to highlight is diversity. Yet another subject that we highlight a lot around here. Um, I already hinted about this a second ago, but the Church of Jesus has always been made up of this wild assortment of a bunch of people. And as it relates to our Christian vocation, uh, this diversity is emphasized in this wide-ranging variety of gifts and functions. Paul stresses that the members of Jesus' body do not have all the same function. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then he goes on to give examples in verses 6, 7, and 8. Teaching, serving. You heard Susie Reno a couple minutes ago. Encouragement, showing mercy, uh, leadership, a whole bunch of things here. 
trying to emphasize and demonstrate this diversity. What I think is helpful for us to remember is that this is not an exhaustive list. It's not like Paul was trying to represent all the gifts. And also, I don't think he was intending to rank them. I don't think this is trying to give pride of place to anything else. I think what Paul is doing here with this list is really emphasizing range, diversity, scope. There's a wide range of opportunities here. And I think that's meant to encourage us. I hope that what you do when you read that list is you find yourself encouraged because it's so easy, particularly in a broadcasted social media world, for the only things to be celebrated is what can be put on display. That the things that really matter is whatever gets reshared or liked a bunch of times. But what I love about Paul's range of uh, gifts here is that so many of them are what you do in secret. They're the things that don't get applauded. They're the unsexy things. They're the things that don't get retweeted. That, I hope, is encouraging for us. When we think about the diversity of gifts, we need to name this temptation, the temptation of comparison. It's pretty easy. If you're anything like me, to see the gifts of another person and then to think less about your own. Or to see what somebody else can do and think, I've been stuck with this and they got that. And I think what's going on here is Paul is trying to say, don't get sucked into that. As we live into this new renewed vocation, I think what we find is that um, we will hopefully grow in our ability to, yes, to honor the contribution of others. I think we will, hopefully we will celebrate the width and the breadth of God's generosity to his church when we see all the things that are possible because of the diversity of gifts. But we will also, I think, we will learn to grow in our ability to humbly embrace and to faithfully live into our own gifts and our own functions. To avoid over-elevating and undervaluing what you have to offer. I'm reminded uh, there's this old Hasidic tale about a rabbi named Rabbi Zusia. And Zusia was coming to the end of his life, and he was talking about, he says, when I, come in, when I enter the coming age, I will not be asked this question. Rabbi Zusia, why were you not Moses? Instead, he says, I will be asked this question. Rabbi Zusia, why were you not Zeusia? Why were you not more your own created self? Friends, may we learn to live into what God has given us and then generously offer that to his church. May we grow in our ability to resist this temptation of comparison. And may we discover unity and may we make uh, diversity and may we make diversity a reality in our church. Unity, mutuality, and diversity, each discovered, each actualized when we faithfully live into this Christian vocation. 
And we also confront three temptations, autonomy, withholding, comparison. I want to invite you to three responses, invitations in light of this. The first is, just has to do with these words here. I wonder which temptation hits closest to home for you. Autonomy, withholding, comparison. I wonder which one of these areas maybe the Holy Spirit is poking around a little bit. I want to encourage you, if something is stirring in those places, please don't be too quick to dismiss that stirring. Pay attention to that. Have good conversations with people around that. Journal around that. Pray around that. Whatever that might be happening there, pay attention to what one of those temptations might hit closest to home. Second invitation is just to reiterate what Tim already said before, uh, to, to take seriously the invitation of this next steps card. Um, so we're asking everyone to pick three things on this list, which, by the way, makes this better than Panera, where you only get to pick two. <laughs> but pick three things here that you would want to invest time and energy and effort into in this upcoming ministry season. Have conversations with people about that. Pray, discern. And I, I just want to, you know, we're not going to ask you. We're not going to, like, have you circle things and then turn them in. This is not signing you up for things. Uh, we're, we're actually giving these to you so that they would be a kind of reminder, a prompt that you would just have around, that these would be a physical uh, uh, and visual reminder of wanting to live faithfully into this renewed vocation. So uh, look those things over, think about that. And then my third invitation is, is this. I know that for some of us, that we have no idea where to begin with this conversation. That the idea of living faithfully into some kind of Christian vocation, uh, the idea of making some kind of contribution to the body, you don't even know what that means. You don't know what that would look like. And I want to say that that's really okay. But I also want to say, let us, let us seek God's wisdom with you. That don't just be unsure, but allow us to walk with you in your uncertainty, moving hopefully towards greater clarity. Uh, today, if you want, there's going to be some people here who are ready to pray with you. Be some folks in the back over here. At least one or two of us will be over here. And if during these next, uh, I don't know, 20-ish or so minutes, you would just want someone to pray with you, we are physically ready and able and willing to do that. Second, um, uh, you can submit a prayer. We have a virtual prayer wall on the internet. We also have physical prayer walls in this room if you wanted to do that. Um, and, and you could just uh, write something on a paper and slip it in there. And I, I just want to reiterate that we take these, um, as a staff, we take these prayers really seriously. These three have been on my desk and then they've come home with me over the weekend. And so I've been praying every day for David and his wife and for Dave who's having surgery and for this sophomore high school student. 
And that's not to pat us on the back. It's just to say that you're not just putting prayer walls into the void, that our staff were really serious about this. And the prayer walls, the things that come out on the virtual prayer wall, we're taking these things seriously. We want to journey with you. So if that's a way that would be helpful, please do that. And then maybe it would be good to have a one-on-one conversation with one of our pastors. I'm signing all of our pastors up to be willing to do that with you. Um, info at marshill.org. That'll get the process started. If having a one-on-one conversation to really try to discern and figure this out would be helpful, please do that. We would be honored to walk with you and to figure these things out. Friends, I long to see our church not just have loads and loads of volunteers. I long to see our church growing into that very image, the picture that Paul talked about, growing in unity and knowledge and maturity, that we might attain the fullness of the measure of Christ. That is what is at stake for us. I long for us to live faithfully into this renewed vocation. So before we uh, turn to the table, why don't we, I'd love to pray for us. And we pray, Almighty and everlasting God, we are really grateful for the church. The church through which the world comes to know your covenant promises and your steadfast love. We thank you for Jesus. Jesus, for your sacrifice and for your self-denial. Giving us an example to follow and a life to imitate. We join you in your prayer for unity among your people. And we seek to renew our commitments to follow faithfully after you. And Holy Spirit, we ask for a renewed fire, for a renewed vision for our shared vocation to serve your church. Give us what we need and fan into flame those gifts that we've already been given. We ask all of this for the sake of the world and for the glory of Jesus' name. And amen.